crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm here in the United Kingdom and uh, we're on the campus of Herbert W. Armstrong College as well. And this is where one of our archaeological writers, Christopher Reams, works from. I've got him here in the studio to discuss with me a recent discovery that made headlines around the world because mostly I believe it involved cannabis in relation to ancient Israelite worship. And so in a little bit, we're going to be talking to him about that discovery and a connection to the Bible that has not been reported anywhere else but on our website. Perhaps after some people listen to this or even uh, go and read Chris's article that's online right now, they will understand that there is more of a connection to the Bible than is being reported. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that the latest print edition of Watch Jerusalem is now online. It should be hitting mailboxes in Israel right now, yesterday, today, perhaps over the weekend. You can have access to that magazine right now online as well. It's on the front page. Just scroll down towards the right. I do want to give just a bit of a plug for the magazine and go through some of the articles that are in this May-June issue. The main article, feature article in the May-June issue is from our editor-in-chief, Mr. Gerald Flurry, and it involves, or it's entitled, A Lesson from King Hezekiah and Isaiah. He talks about these two seal impressions that were discovered in the excavations of Dr. Elot Mazar right there in Jerusalem where you'd expect them to be discovered. King Hezekiah, of course, and we'll talk about a, bit, a little bit about him later. He was one of the most important kings in Judah, one of the righteous kings of Judah, living towards the end of the, the 8th century, the early 700s, if I can put it that way, is when he began to reign. And his seal impression has been discovered, King Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, and right next to that seal impression was discovered the one from Isaiah, the prophet. And so Mr. Gerald Flurry has an article about this king-prophet relationship and why that relationship holds an inspiring message of hope. Uh, together with that, we have a couple of pieces explaining more of the scientific details about these two seal impressions and really putting it in layman's terms and something that makes it very easy for you to understand. So I've also written a piece, a long feature story on Israel's rogue Supreme Court, and this is uh, subtitled The Story of Israel's High Court Slide into Lawlessness. It looks back over the tenure of Aharon Barak as the Supreme Court, the president of the Supreme Court back in the early 90s into the 2000s, and just goes through the history of how the court has gradually taken upon itself more and more powers to strike down the laws that are created by the elected officials in the Knesset. And I also connect that to similar uh, histories of lawlessness or devolving into lawlessness throughout the West, especially the United States, at the same time, and show that this is a general policy that has taken place over the past 30 years throughout the nations of Israel, not just talking about the little state of Israel or Judah, as the Bible calls it, but also the modern nations of Israel, mainly Ephraim, which is uh, the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth today, and also the United States of America. I've had some, I've done some podcasts. Uh, talking about parts of this, and this article goes into great, much much greater depth. A couple of our listeners have asked for more depth 
and more proof of this, considering a lot of Israelis consider their court and justice system to be the best in the world, as they'll continuously say, and indeed it is full of highly intelligent people, sophisticated people, great thinkers, but that often comes with the caveat of taking a lot of power into themselves, thinking that they are above the law, and we talk about the dangers of that in this article. So that is another article that's in this Watch Jerusalem print magazine, May-June. Christopher Reams also has an article that's about the serpentine symbol of healing, the biblical origin of all that. Of course, we get got a, a lot of flack because of this article in the past, or well, some of it, because people want to claim that it's all Greek, it's all Greek, but forget about where the Greeks got it from. This, of course, is the symbol that's on the World Health Organization of the serpent that's going around a staff. Uh, and so you can get some biblical origins for that symbol in that article as well. Christopher Eames looks back at that. There is also this really interesting and beautiful picture about the different archaeological evidence for the kings of Israel and Judah. And I've never seen it put together quite like this. I wouldn't be surprised if we do get some rec- uh, some requests for the actual digital file so it can be blown up and put on your wall. I'm going to do that. You can probably print it out from Watch Jerusalem. It's a quite a high-quality version up online right now. And it has a number of different kings, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 kings from Israel and Judah that have been confirmed in controlled archaeological investigation, meaning we see their names, their actual names there written on documents that weren't forged, that weren't found on the black market, that we know come from actual digs. We talked about King Hezekiah. That's one of them. That's just one of 12. What's really interesting about this is if you go through all these discoveries and there's little pictures of the discoveries themselves, the date of the dis- the date of of the context in which it was found, and the little quote that talks about the king it's the king that's mentioned on that discovery as well. What's really interesting about them is a lot of them are found elsewhere. A lot of them are found elsewhere in Iraq or ancient Assyria, Babylon, uh, different places that we know that the biblical kings had a relationship, a working relationship, and sometimes going into captivity or paying tribute to one of these other foreign empires. And so we like to think, or people like to talk about Israel and Judah as being little kingdoms and just involved in, by themselves in this tucked off corner of the earth. And yet here we have them being mentioned by the major powers uh, of the earth at that time. And so we have king, the, I'm just going to go through the kings, and you, these are familiar to you. All of these kings are historical figures. They have been found on corroborating evidence outside the Bible. King Omri, King Ahab, King Jehu, King Joash or Jehoash, King Jeroboam II, King Menachem, Kings Pekah and Hosea. Okay, so we've got 13, I suppose. They are all the ones that have been confirmed through archaeological evidence. We're going back all the way from the 9th century BCE, 2,900 years ago to about... Uh, 2,700 years ago. And now we've got the, the, Is- the Judean kings, King David, King Ahaz, King Hezekiah, King Manasseh, King Jehoiakim or Jeconiah, the same king. And so there's another six, another five there as well from Judah. You might be surprised to find that all those kings from your Bible have been corroborated outside the Bible from texts that were written from their time. 
And so I'd like to encourage you, if you haven't already, to please go ahead and request our Watch Jerusalem magazine. This is a magazine that's free, full color, comes out uh, once every two months. We'll send it to you anywhere in the world. And we won't bug you with any follow-ups of things. If you if you want to cancel, you can cancel. If you want to give it to your friends, we'll send you more copies as well to get them on our mailing list. And so, uh, and then this again is the centerfold, the center infographic in this this month's uh, version of the Watch Jerusalem print. So please go ahead if you haven't already and sign up for that magazine. And if you want to look at that right now, just go to the website. It's there on the right-hand column and click Read Now. And you can uh, look at the magazine. Okay, right now I want to introduce Christopher Reams. He is a regular on this podcast, of course. He's been sitting patiently with me. He's been doing a series, a podcast series on Watch Jerusalem about the modern identity of the lost tribes. Hi, Chris. Hey, Brent. Good to do this interview in person this time. That's right. Not Not over Skype. It is a pleasure to be with you. So what has been the response, first of all, to some of those programs? Some of, I think you've done about nine or ten of the tribes right now, maybe ten, uh, going through uh, where they have eventually, these peoples have eventually migrated to. Right. Well, I've really enjoyed doing the, uh, doing the program. It's been a really interesting study, and there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of positive response from people who, who have gone into the program and actually listened to it in full. Now, for some who are unfamiliar with with this idea or this uh, this this interpretation that of the Israelites actually leaving, being deported by the Assyrians, which is what the Bible says, and then leaving and migrating further on from there. For those who don't know about that that history, that is in the Bible, and then that does follow in secular history. It can seem a little bit crazy at first. Like, what on earth? What are these different tribes doing in these different European countries? But I definitely encourage people to go through and listen to the programs in full. And especially uh, if you haven't uh, ordered it already, uh, if you take a look at our book, The United States and Britain and Prophecy, that goes through it in detail, tracking the migration of these people. Uh, because they had to end up somewhere. These lost tribes of Israel, they were prophesied to become great peoples, and they had to end up somewhere. So where did they go? And that's what I go through in these programs. And so uh, I guess for people who, who kind of see the, the cover of these programs and who don't actually look into it, it seems a little bit crazy and, and there's a bit of uh, interesting feedback based <laughs> on that. But for those who actually listen to it and and go through. Uh, there's quite a lot of interested people, and even quite a few people asking that they be compiled into articles, uh, which we are planning to do in in future. I believe that's the plan. And then there's even been some requests to put it into a book. So. Well, steady on, so, though. steady yeah. on. Don't know about going into a book. <laughs> well, we'll see about. We'll that. see. But yeah, it's been good to have that feedback. Yeah, for sure. I think that is a. I think it's a really good point to to uh, mention is that you can just look at. On face value, you see maybe something that comes across on Facebook, and you're like, "Oh, wow, yeah, right." The um, how is it that the tribe of Dan is now Denmark or something like that, and think that's absolutely crazy? Well, then you have to just ask the question: These peoples were prof- prophesied to become nations, become huge peoples, and they feature in end time prophecy as well. And so, is it that the tribe of Ephraim or the tribe of Manasseh? is spread out all over the world and God is going to bring those Manassites and Ephraimites at, out uh, well, that, that they can fulfill the prophecies in their individual nations that have been spread out all over the world? Or do they represent actual nation states? And can they impact biblical prophecy? Well, your Bible says that they should. 
Uh, and so if you believe the Bible, you have to believe also that these ancient Israelite tribes do form modern states as well. So please take the time, if you haven't, to go in and actually listen to it. Don't just say it's crazy. Actually listen to it and see if you still think it's crazy by the end of it. Well, last week, the Discovery reported everywhere. Washington Post, The Guardian, National Geographic, Live Science, every single paper in Israel. It was everywhere. And maybe that's because... Traces of cannabis were found on a shrine in southern Israel from 2,700 years ago. I mean, what fascination people have with this. And I think it's very interesting as well. And you spent a good three and a half thousand words about writing about it. So obviously you do as well. Perhaps we can talk about the discovery at first, where it was found, and also what's new about, about this discovery. Sure. Okay. So in the 1960s, I believe specifically 1962 to 67, Yohanan Aharoni undertook some excavations at Tel Arad, and this is a um, this is a an ancient Israelite city in the northern part of the Negev, just south uh, southwest of the Dead Sea uh, at Tel Arad, and they found a fortress type city on on the upper hill. They found quite a strong fortress area and within that fortress they found a temple area a shrine area during the 60s they they were quite surprised to discover this the shrine that that in in some ways matched the the layout style of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem now there's been a number of different uh, shrine temples around Israel that do this. So here at Tel Arad, they've found this uh, the shrine in the 60s. They were super excited by it. They dismantled it and literally transported it to the Israel Museum in Jerusalem for a permanent exhibit where it's currently housed. If, if you look at the pictures on our website on this article, we show pictures from Tel Arad. That's, uh, that's a reconstruction in part. So, so this shrine was largely moved to the Israel Museum, where they've set it up on display. And notable with the shrine were two incense altars, two incense altars that were found sort of framing the Holy of Holies. Which of is kind of, that, that would be different from what's explained in Solomon's Temple, correct? Right. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit different from the layout there. You've got the incense altar. Uh, outside of the Holy of Holies, uh, outside of that, that curtain. That but you specifically, in, the, in what you bring out, is they specifically found two of right. these, which there's only one incense altar, right, in Solomon's right. Temple. So they found a larger incense altar and a smaller incense altar, framing sort of the, the entrance of this Holy of Holies. And then within the Holy of Holies, they found two standing stones. So two stones, one back behind each of these incense altars. And what they what they noticed in the 60s was that there was residue of what had been burned on top of these incense altars, and so they attempt they attempted to uh, research what that residue was. It's believed they took the residue from the smaller altar, since there's less of that residue today remaining than there is on the larger altar. But the researchers weren't able to determine what it was until now, and this new research that's been done sort of is is what started this this study and, and all of these articles that have been published about it. Okay, so they, they had these two altars in this Arad temple, and this goes to back to, you know, the time of biblical kings, starting when and going to when? Well, there's a little bit of debate about that. 
between the uh, excavator and others who have looked at the evidence, the, there's been some debate that the shrine was built during the 10th century BCE up until and functioned up until about the 7th to 6th century BCE. Now, since then, there's been uh, a, a reassessment of that, and it's been determined that at least the main period of use, if not the only period, was during that, the 8th century BCE, so from 760 to 715 specifically. They've been able to narrow down that date as at least the main part of use, if not the only Okay, so we'll, we'll get to that dating as we go on here. And getting back to these two altars and two different, two substances, well, there's a substance in one, a substance on the other. What can you tell us about what they found in the study? Okay, well, the study was done by Eran Ari, Baruch Rosen, and Dvori Namdar, and they did a uh, molecular study of the these substances. And on the larger altar, well, I'll go ahead and say this, they found only one substance uh, identifiable substance on each altar, and each substance was a different one. So one on the large altar, a different one on the smaller altar. Now on the larger altar, they found frankincense. They found that frankincense uh, had been burned on that larger altar, and that's not surprising. Right. It's mentioned all through the Bible. It's mentioned all through ancient history as part of uh, uh, of incense that was burned, which uh, was meant to smell good. Right frankincense uh and what they found with it mixed with it was animal fat that's quite interesting because animal fat burns at quite a high temperature and in order to release the smell of frankincense you need to hit i think it's 260 degrees celsius and so they mixed it with this high temperature burning animal fat in order to release that smell uh it's not surprising that they found it but this was the first time frankincense has ever been found on an in- incense altar. So in this Israel. wasn't the this wasn't what everyone headlined with though. <laughs> right. Right. So that was what what the headlines were about were the second altar. So the first one was impressive enough as it is first time frankincense ever been found. The the second altar they found the remains of cannabis. So strictly cannabis was burned on this altar. They found the psychoactive compounds THC, CBD, and CBN, or rather CBD being being related to the oil, not the psychoactive compound. So they found these these three compounds as part of the cannabis burning that happened on this altar. Now it's interesting because mixed with this cannabis was animal dung. So we had the frankincense altar mixed with animal fat, and that's how that was burned. On the cannabis altar, they found the cannabis, and it was mixed with animal dung. Now, it, it might be a bit of a surprise to people, but animal dung is a pretty common form of fuel for burning fires. Especially, especially when there's not many trees around. Right. Out in the desert, the Negev Desert, Telarad, not not much product around to, to use as fuel. So they mixed it with animal dung, and they did this because animal dung burns at a much lower temperature. You need about a temperature, I believe, of 150 degrees Celsius for the cannabis, for the psychoactive compound to be released. And if you had, a say, animal fat, as with the frankincense, that would just, it would just go up in a puff of smoke and be, be over and done with. So they wanted a much slower burning product. They needed a much slower burning product 
for the cannabis. So they had the frankincense altar and then the cannabis altar. And here again, this was the first time this had ever been discovered for, for cannabis burning in, in ancient Israel. So, of course, that made all the headlines. And so, and so, and so this world. is kind of showing that you did have. It's, there's two separate functions for this. The cannabis, the, the frankincense, was for the the sweet smell that would be going up from it with a high temperature, and then the very fact that they did not just burn cannabis at that high temperature shows that they were going after a specific effect. And uh, this was taking place at the Arad Temple. Now, what's interesting in a lot of the reporting of this is that then people would extrapolate from what was happening in Arad and then try and talk about or at least link it to what was going to be happening in Solomon's temple as well. And BBC reported this, the findings of Tel Arad suggest that cannabis also played a role in worship at the Temple of Jerusalem. Times of Israel wrote, the discovery also suggests cannabis may have been used in the rituals at the temple in Jerusalem. Haaretz reported that discovery of the drug use showed that, quote, the practice was part of the early history of Judaism. <laughs> and so this is what something that we really try and pick apart very fast at our website is taking the fact, and which is a fascinating discovery in itself of what they were doing in Arad, and then trying to push it as being something that took place back in Jerusalem, perhaps, you know, during the a righteous rule of a righteous king. Right. And uh, you, you mentioned being picked apart. It was actually, this this theory was picked apart in many of the comments to these articles that, that published this research and then this theory that this cannabis use, the researchers posit that this cannabis use was part of the standard worship in Solomon's temple. Okay, you had you had some pagan Jew- Jewish kings, but besides that, they were inferring that this was part of the main established standard worship in Solomon's temple. And in order to kind of bolster that theory, one of the main researchers suggested that maybe the cannabis is referred to in the early books of the Bible, and we just don't quite know what the term is yet that they used in biblical times for cannabis, but maybe it is in there, and maybe it is part of the prescribed research. So so there was some pushback about that. It's interesting, as you say, the pushback came back in the comments. It wasn't really, well, there may be somebody, some intellectual or some archaeologist that comes back and says, hold on a minute, hold on a minute, just because something was found in the way the boonies uh, right down there in Tel Arad, which, as you bring out, the king that was probably responsible for this was an unrighteous king, to then go ahead and say it was part of the fully sanctioned worship of God in the temple that was directed by God or that God was pleased with is a huge stretch. And yet that's what a lot of the authors were, were implying. Right. This is uh, what one of the authors said. So this is, this is at the root of why they implied this. He said, quote, If the shrine at Arad was built according to the plan of the temple in Jerusalem, which it is to a degree, there are some similarities there, he continues, then why shouldn't the religious practices be the same? So this incredible extrapolation, really, mm-hmm. from somewhat similar-looking temple outline at Arad. Well, I've just got one of the one of the comments here from one of these articles. Uh, someone commenting on the Times of Israel article about this. This being the the reason why they posited this theory. He wrote, "Why should this altar have any connection to the temple in Jerusalem? 
we're taught that when the temple in Jerusalem was built by King Solomon, private altars became forbidden at the same time. Therefore, even if the site was an altar, it wouldn't have anything to do with the standard Israelite ritual. And yeah, it's a really good point. It's what the Bible repeats over and again, that there are these other, it it highlights these other pagan areas of worship around Israel and talks about them being pagan areas of worship. And Solomon's temple is where there's the only place that worship should take place. It, it clearly delineates that separation between these outside areas. It clearly de- delineates uh, that wrong practices were occurring at these outside temples. Clearly evidenced through the Bible, but, but it's not referred to, of course, in, in this more academic scholarly research. Right, and so I think this. Whenever you have a discovery of idols, or a discovery of, of something like this, it comes out in the field. People will then try and foist that discovery upon upon God and say that, well, the Bible says one thing that we're not meant to have idols, and yet we're finding idols everywhere. So the Bible's wrong. It's a very simplistic way of looking at it. When you know you read your Bible, if you're listening to this program, and you know that more often than not, the people are involved in wrong religious practices, in pagan religious practices. And so really what we try and do, what you do in this article is kind of turn it back on its head and say, well, hang on a minute. This isn't describing the the existence of, of cannabis being used doesn't just doesn't then imply that that was part of God's system. You look at the Bible and say that, well, maybe let's look in the Bible and see if this actually is supported by what the Bible says about what what these pagan kings were doing, well, not pagan kings, let's say unrighteous kings were doing in ancient Israel following pagan practices. And you do this and put it together in a way that I haven't read uh, anywhere else. Right. Well, it's, it's quite interesting for this discovery because we've got quite a specified time period. Uh, As I said, we've got 760 to 715 BCE as our time period of You've, when these of, when of, the altar of when this shrine was shrine, being yep. used for the altars themselves we have an even tighter window the researchers speculate that they were only used for uh, a decade or two so perhaps around 730 to 715 but okay within the 760 to 715 time period we have four kings of Judah and three of them are named largely as righteous kings one of them is a deeply pagan king. Now, of those three, the first two, so Uzziah and Jotham, they were righteous kings. The Bible says uh, righteous kings. They, they, they had the worship going on in Jerusalem, but there were still pagan elements sacrificing at high places around Israel. So there you do have that worship going on, which is what they find. 760, you have the shrine being Mm -hmm. used. And in other places of Israel, you do have corroboration for that. But it was in spite of the proper worship that was happening in Jerusalem. Now, if we look to that tighter window where we have the incense altars themselves being used that's from about 730 say to 715 now that's so, the- so this is just incredible to think how far science has come in this way that somebody can dig up something 50 years ago sit somewhere for a while and then they come back scrape a bit of a residue off the top and then find out the substance that was being burned on it and then tell you the exact years, basically, within a window of 15 years or so 
of when they a priest of some sort was doing this on this altar. I just think that's absolutely right. phenomenal. Uh, and that couldn't have been done 50 years ago. And so we have, in mo- our modern time, the ability to put the Bible together with a discovery in a way that could not have been done going back 50 years or so. And so we have a window of time, which king you know fits that window. Yeah, so we've got this window of time here, around uh, about 7.30 to 7.15, and this is within the window of two specific kings of Judah, first King Ahaz and then King Hezekiah. Now, King Ahaz is one of the most pagan kings of Judah. The Bible highlights him as sacrificing his own children, so he's, he's one of the most notable kings uh, of Judah. He's specifically noted in the Bible as being a big fan of pagan incense worship, a big fan of of worship relating to incense. And and if you read the biblical account of him, uh, it actually says that he went round all the cities of Judah and made sure that they had a high place and an incense altar to worship at that high place. So, of course, if you take all of these cities, Telarad would be one of them. This right. is one of the cities that he would have he would have kitted out. And Second Chronicles twenty eight verse twenty five, I've got it here. Uh, it reads, and in every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods. Now this went to such such an extreme level that in Jerusalem, the holy temple, he took out the incense altar out of the temple itself brought it outside and it says he brought it outside for his personal use or to visit or to inquire now that word personal use to visit to inquire that's uh, a bit obscure in the hebrew but it doesn't take much imagination to to kind of figure out what he must have been doing right certainly if we find something you know similar taking place at arad exactly the same time right so you have this this precise window of time we mentioned four kings during which the shrine was being used. The first two were righteous. The last one, Hezekiah, was righteous. But that third one, that that window of time, King Ahaz is the precise window of time that we see this incense worship being described in the Bible. And we see this incense worship, including, as we now know, cannabis use going on at Tel Arad. Now, following... King Ahaz's rule, we have King Hezekiah. Most people know about King Hezekiah, that he was a pretty uh, pretty incredible, righteous king, and, and he started his reign just uh, guns blazing. He, uh, he immediately started cleansing the land of paganism. He started breaking down high places, removing incense altars. And now Hezekiah's reign is roughly from around 725 to uh, to about 700, I think 697 BCE. And so during that earlier part of his reign, you see this uh, initial push to cleanse the temple. The Bible talks about the temple being scrubbed down, the equipment, which would have included the incense altar, being scrubbed down. Mm-hmm. And, and you can kind of think, well, why, why would he have scrubbed lengths. it? Yeah, gone to those lengths to scrub it down. Well, maybe it was because of what King Ahaz had been burning on the incense altar. But then dating to this time period is when we find the end of use for these incense altars in Tel Arad. Again, during that early part of Hezekiah's reign, we read of a region-wide cleanse 
of paganism. And we find that all over the place in archaeology. In this article, I, I referenced just one of these places, Tel Lachish, where we find a pagan altar room that has been stripped down, torn down, smashed to pieces, and turned into a lavatory. He actually puts a toilet right. seat in there to desecrate the place. And we see that same thing to an extent in Tel Arad. These incense altars, uh, again, round about 715 BCE, we see that they've been laid down on their side and buried. So these incense altars, their use ended Mm -hmm. during this early part of Hezekiah's reign, which pretty dramatically uh, corroborated in the Bible for the start of their use around the uh, during Hez King Ahaz's time and the end of their use during King Hezekiah's reign as a result of his uh, his purges. I mean, it's just interesting to really think about this in terms of what was brought out by the researchers. I'm not knocking the researchers. and The science that they used to uncover these things is absolutely startling. Um, but it is surprising in many ways that they don't go the, to this extra step of putting it really close next to the biblical account to actually see a king that is ruling from, from Judah, and, and he isn't a righteous king, and he, as you said, is specifically mentioned for setting up this type of pagan worship everywhere and using incense. I mean, it seems to me that you'll just cross-check in, you know, when you're doing your study, oh, I wonder if we have a historical source that actually talks about what exactly was going on here in Tel Arad. And there is, it's called the Bible. And it matches perfectly, not just that, but then Hezekiah coming around and saying, we're done with that now. And you have the destruction of these being at exactly the same time. Right, and they do use the Bible in their, their report. I mean, they, they, uh, they talk about Leviticus, uh, I believe it's Leviticus 1 or 2, and, and referencing frankincense and how that ties in with the Bible. There, there's a, there's a, a really brief suggestion of the time of King Hezekiah and his purges, uh, but that's only referenced in in a single passing note. Uh, but but nothing for King Ahaz, and it's it's a bit disappointing, really, mm -hmm. uh, because it fits so well, and it wouldn't have taken very much time at all just to look into the to the Bible and see that corroboration. Because with this with these uh, these incense products, they make an interesting point about it: frankincense and cannabis. They're not, uh, they're not part of that general region, and they would have had to have been brought in. They, uh, they note uh, the trade of these ingredients uh, in, in their report. They note that it would have been expensive to import them. And so they actually make the note that it would, have, uh, it would likely have taken royal assent in order to enable this kind of import of these expensive items yeah. uh, into Telarad. And what do we see for the reign of King Ahaz? We see the one king right in this very period uh, who is doing all this kind of stuff, giving that royal assent to every single city to have their high place and to have their incense altar. And, of course, he'd be making sure that they could have their incense imported to them to be able to burn it. So you do have royal ascent from Jerusalem at that time period. Now they extrapolate that as to being, well, this must have been part of the standard worship at Solomon's temple and and this was this was just accepted and this was part of Judaism itself. Well no, it's it's this 
this aberration, this this little right. window uh, within, say, 7.30 to 7.50, uh, well, when Hezekiah came along, uh, of King Ahaz, where he gives royal assent and makes sure that these cities all around Judah can have their expensive frankincense and cannabis to burn. Yeah, it's just another example of not just uh, the reign of kings, as you've put before, I think, the existence of these kings being proven by archaeology, but actually what they did, down to the very minute detail as well. If people really do care to to put it together with the biblical script, what the Bible says from that period um, as well. And so I really do thank you, Chris, for putting together this article and talking with us today. You really do need to go and read it. It, it just goes through, we're not just you know, two guys having a chat here. This is this has been proven through Chris Chris's article and he cites the the study as well and other other articles that go into the some of these details and puts it together with the Bible. I just wish, you know, in in the New York Times, in Washington Post, in The Guardian, in all these other papers in Israel, I just wish that they included this to show that okay, yes, marijuana was used or cannabis was used in this temple and that's you know, astounding because we had didn't know that before. But then I wish they also put it together with a biblical text saying it matches perfectly with King Ahaz's reign. You know, if you want to get clicks, I think the the actual prove the Bible true element of this would get more clicks than the actual cannabis element. And yet they didn't even choose to include it. And just, so it's just highlighting the need for you to keep track of Watch Jerusalem and the articles that we are putting up on the website, and Chris uh, does really well at making sure all these biblical nuggets are brought out of the archaeological discoveries that are made by others in the field. And so this article, again, it's entitled, Ancient Israelite Cannabis Altar Points to King Ahaz's Worship. It's up right now on the front page still on watchjerusalem.co.il. And you can go and uh, read that for yourself. Thanks very much for bringing this to us today, Chris. Thank you, Brent. If you'd like to also send us some feedback on our program, you can write your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Again, if you haven't requested our magazine, again, it's free, and you can get your copies there at watchjerusalem.co.il. And we'll send it to you anywhere in the world. Thanks for listening today, and we'll talk to you next week.